we were so poor that we lived in homes that didn't have electricity or indoor plumbing. Um, they were more like shacks that we lived in for a long time. We would go days without eating uh, unless school was in session. And so uh, school was a safe haven for me. I never had marks on me that anyone could see. They were mostly on my upper thighs and legs and, um, and my back and my stomach. Nothing was where people could see it. I remember as a little girl, I slept with a Bible on my chest because I was afraid she was going to murder me in my sleep. I didn't think I was going to heaven, though, because my mother told me I wasn't, that I was, that I was demonic. She would, when she would hit me and things like that, she would always rebuke the devil and try to cast out demons and things like that. When I was 10 and a half to almost 12, I drank and drink. I would drink and smoke pot and wake up in places I didn't know where I was at. At 10 through at, 12? I was very young. Let me ask you a question. Do you know anyone who has experienced emotional, sexual, or physical abuse? Maybe you've experienced abuse in your past. How did you deal with that abuse? Did you deal with that abuse? Or did you bury it deep inside yourself? Our guest today talks about her abuse and how God came alongside her and helped her through some really hard times. Sometimes God brings other people into our lives to point us in the right direction, but sometimes it feels like God is silent. We live in a dangerous world with dangerous people. Does God hear me when I cry out to him? Will he ever answer my prayers and bring healing and love into my life? Sometimes I need a powerful God who can do miracles, but sometimes I just need God to be my friend. These are topics I want to discuss with our guest today as she shares her life change story with us. I'm Eric Hutchinson, and this is the If Nothing Changes podcast. So, hey, friend, thanks for joining me today. Why don't you introduce yourself and let the listeners know who you are? Eric, it's so good to be here. Um, I am Becky Schaefer, and I am the co-founder of Saving Grace NWA. Um, but honestly, that is a small part of my story. Um, I grew up in Mena, Arkansas, and found my way back to Arkansas in a, about 15 years ago. So Mena, Arkansas, yes. is that where you were born then? That's where I, I was born in Boonville, Arkansas. Boonville, okay. <laughs> yes, yes. So people always say, you know, you were born in the boondocks, and you really were. I really was, yes, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So I was born to, I uh, already had a brother and two sisters, um, and my mother and father lived in Charleston, Arkansas, um, and I was born in Boonville, but my father was a dairy farmer. He worked for Campbell's Dairy at the time, and um, life was hard. We were very poor. Um, my father eventually left my mother, and so I, ha I lived and grew up with a very single, a very mentally ill and single mom, um, which was at times a f stormy, uh, to, th to say the least. Um, when we ended up in Mena, Arkansas, when I was about four, three or four years old, we, we moved to Mena, um, and my father uh, still worked for a dairy farmer there, and... You know, my father finally left 
Um, and I tell people <laughs> he would come home long enough to knock up my mother again, to be honest. Um, it was a very brief visit. He was not there very long. And a few months later, a child showed up. So um, it was difficult. Um, I didn't understand for a long time why my father would leave us with my mother because she was so violent. And um, even as a child, we we were so poor that we lived in homes that didn't have electricity or indoor plumbing. Um, they were more like shacks that we lived in for a long time. Um, my mother, after my little brother was born, he's about five years younger than me, and I was about five years old when he was born. After he was born, there was a shift that happened within my mom, um, almost like she was out for a reckoning, if that makes sense. Uh, she was a very, she was either very angry and uh, unpredictable, or she was almost catatonic on volume and in bed. Uh, the ladder was better for all of us. Um, we would go days without eating uh, unless school was in session. And so uh, school was a safe haven for me. Um, but when I was little, we, we ended up living in the projects where a lot of abuse began for me as a child. I think we we're about, I was about maybe six years old when we moved there. And my mother um, just for some reason, there were two of us that she really focused her violence against. Um, and then the other ones, she was, I would say we got the better of it because we knew we were being physically hurt. The other ones were more mentally uh, abused. And so I remember a story about my sisters that one of my sisters told me later in life where my mother had the younger of my two older sisters sit in her lap while she would brush her hair and tell her how beautiful she was while my other sister sat beside her and had to listen to it. And if she got up to leave, my mother would grab her hair and pull her back down to the bed. So it was just a very warped, twisted way that she thought things through, I guess. Um, but I remember as a little girl, I slept with a Bible on my chest because I was afraid she was going to murder me in my sleep. And then um, when there were times when I would come home from playing and I'd wandered too far from the house or the we'd lived in a duplex in the projects and um, she would meet me at the door and grab me by my hair and fling me across the room and just hit until she was too tired to hit anymore. Um, at times I could feel and hear my scalp separating from my skull, if that even makes sense. Um and just, and just having dry heaves from that, uh, from that moment. And I was very, very small. I was malnourished. And, um, so my mother would go after just, sometimes she would put a fan in the, the window in the bedroom and have me take my clothes off and she would have me get up on the bed and she would just hit until she was tired. Um, and almost, almost let out a sigh, like a, like a defeating breath, like it's over and I've given up. And she would walk into the other room and get in the bed. And I would wait very carefully and quietly. I would wait in that other room till she was drifted off to sleep. Um, because I knew if she came back at me, I might not survive the next one. It was very, by this time I'm bleeding. I'm, I had, there were times when I was unconscious and I would wake up and she was just resting. Um, and she would continue to hit as soon as I regained consciousness. Um, and so I would wait and listen for her to be breathing like she was sleeping, and I would sneak out into the backyard, um, and I would still have tears coming down my face, and my body was still shaking with sobs, this little tiny body, and I would lay down on the grass, 
and I would talk to God about needing, I really wanted a new mom and new, new, a new family. Um, for a long time, I thought I was adopted, because, but then I realized they didn't let poor people adopt children. <laughs> so, um, and then we also had a swing set in the backyard um, that was more of the projects. It was a great big metal swing set. And I would swing in that swing set and I would talk to God, um, even though things were crazy and very stormy in my childhood. Um, there was a point where somebody invited us to church, and I would love to go back to that in just a minute, but I would go out and swing and swing and swing, and I would be like, Lord, I'm going to jump, and I need you to catch me. Like, as a little girl, I believed with all my heart he was going to catch me. He was my Abba. He was my daddy. And so I would swing and swing and swing, and I would jump, and my arms and my legs would just be flailing, and I would land and then I would do it all over again because I believed with all my heart he was catching me. Yeah. So I have a couple questions. I mean, you man, started off with a lot there. So um, so you said you had siblings. Yes. I have two um, older sisters, one older brother, and one baby brother. Okay. So were these siblings with you the entire time with your mom? Or- No, um, my older brother, who's about eight years older than I am, uh, she made him go live with our father. Okay. um, Because she felt like boys should be with their dads. Okay. And now she didn't do that with the baby brother. Okay. Um, Yeah. So he went to live with my dad, but then my sisters and I and our little brother stayed with my mother. So because there was this abuse, did you guys kind of, did you become closer to your siblings because of the abuse? No? No. And my sisters were old enough, you know, when I was six, they were 12 and 13. And our pastor had taken our, my oldest sister under their wing, um, sent her to a private school and some things like that. So her life was a little bit different. She was also horribly abused by my mother. Um, and then my the younger of the two older sisters um, was sort of a favorite, if you will, of my mother's. Um, but even at a very young age, even at 14, she was on the streets. Um, she was a, she was trafficked for a long time. And, you know, that was before trafficking was a, a term. And um, But at 14, she had teachers and um, college professors that were uh, taking their turn with her, and and you know minimal money, just taking advantage of this little girl, um, and so for her, she went on to be on methamphetamines, addicted to painkillers. Um, she does live nearby, uh, in the area, so I don't want to say her name or anything, but um, she has had a very very difficult life um, because of what she went through as a child. And so, um, and then my baby brother, uh, he's five years younger than me. Um, he was there, but he was just little. He was a baby. He was small. He didn't know anything that was going on, really. Did your mom not abuse him? Oh, then? no. Mm-mm. Him and the younger of the two older sisters were definitely her favorites, but she messed with that. Like, she messed with her heads, uh, which is way worse. You know, when you're getting blows, you're getting something knocked out of you and you're bleeding, um, you know, you're being hurt. But when somebody pulls you close and says they love you and then manipulates you and 
basically you have to jump through hoops to get her love. That's a totally different kind of abuse. And I think it's worse, actually. I'm thankful that I was very aware that I was being abused because it. there was a time when I remember going, okay, something is not right in my family, in my home, but I didn't really understand what it was. And so um, a sweet story that I love to tell about my childhood in the midst of all of this, this is before, um, really before um, my baby brother was born. Um, My mother was taking us to town uh, to go to the laundromat. And so it's my two older sisters and me, and I was sitting on top of the dirty clothes in the wagon. And this woman uh, drove by us in this very fancy car and very fancy piled up hair. Um, and she, I could see her brake lights. And as a little kid, I knew something was happening in my mind. My mother was very scared of everyone. She just knew everybody was going to kill us or, you know, hurt us in some way. And so she didn't trust people very well. So this lady goes down, turns around. My mother gets very nervous when she sees her brake lights. She turns back around and she comes in and says, where, where are you guys headed? And my mother says, the laundromat. And she said, well, can I give you a ride? And she was like, no, we're fine. And she goes, no, really, let me let me give you a ride. And can we? Can I get you something to eat on our way? And so she fed it. She piled all of our dirty laundry and then all of our dirty life, really, in the backseat of her car and drove us to this laundromat, fed us, and then picked us up for church on Sunday. So this is when I began to know the Lord, as a little girl, I was, I was very young. This is before we moved to the projects. And so even as a very small child, I knew who God was, um, who he is, I should say. And, um, I had a very real relationship with him. Now I didn't, I didn't think I was going to heaven though, because my mother told me I wasn't, that I was, that I was demonic. She would, when she would hit me and things like that, she would always rebuke the devil and try to cast out demons and things like that. So it's really interesting um, to hear you talk about this because so many times people, especially kids, get angry at God or there's right. no God brought into their life. And, I, and right. one of my questions is I normally ask is, was there any God moments mm-hmm. in your life? And you just shared one mm-hmm. that this lady helped you, that she yep. kind of showed you that there is a God mm-hmm. and that there is kindness and help and you know helpfulness and those kind of things and helped you with that. Um, would you look back at that story or that event and say, hey, that was a realization for yes. you? That okay. was definitely a pivotal moment in my life. And then we would go on to, even when my mother didn't go to church with us, we rode the church bus, which, you know, every once in a while, every once in a while, I'll see a church bus now. It's not very often. Um, I would have never known the gospel had there not been a church bus. And so for anyone out there that's listening that still has a bus ministry, praise God for you, because most of the time these children are never going to see church. They're never going to see it. And that for me, he is the foundational uh, everything. He's everything. I wouldn't be here. I'd be in a ditch um, if it wasn't for my relationship with him and the people he put in my path. Well, I love what you said about being out there in the swing set and and talking to God. And it sounds like to me it kind of originated from this event that you remember with the lady helping you guys, kind of the Good Samaritan Mm -hmm. type thing. Would you say that your mom um, had mental illness? Um, She for sure does, yeah. Okay. So um, 
did you have any kind of realization as a child that she's not normal? This is not normal. Mm-hmm. Something mm-hmm. is happening, mm-hmm. but it's not. It, it, it's something that's that's wrong with her. Sure. I don't think I realized that until I was about a senior in high school, and I had not lived with her since I was 11 or 12. So okay. um, I it took me a while to understand that. It took me a while of being out, of, out from under her um, and living with her in a situation where things were more um, regulated, if you will, like we had consistent... Uh, schedules in our day. We ate at the same time every day. We went to bed at the same time. We always knew we were going to church, those kinds of things uh, when I moved to the children's home. Um, But I was a senior and I went home to visit and I stayed a week with her and slept on her couch. And there were things in that home that I knew uh, were not normal, Uh, just behaviors that she had. She has phobias of glass. So she broke a glass underneath her kitchen sink and and hammer like nailed it shut. There was no going into underneath the sink again. Um, she had paper towels on everything because she was so worried about germs, but she would never change them. So they were just gross, <laughs> you know? Wow. So just very, uh, you know, I remember she wouldn't wash her socks and her underclothes uh, together, but she wouldn't bathe for two weeks. I mean, there were just things like that that didn't make any sense, but I knew that somehow... It had to be something that I didn't understand. So, yes, she's she still suffers from mental illness. And looking back over my life, the amount of um, really not very good people that were in my life, um, because as I got older, um, I began to rebel against my mother's uh, physical abuse, not understanding that it was physical abuse. And growing up in a church that really focused on where in the Bible it says that if you honor your mother and father, you're going to live a long life. I thought I was going to die young because I thought I was very disobedient. So that's that's probably a lie that I believed about myself is that I wasn't obedient. Did you believe that you deserved to be hit? And, you know, did you believe you did something wrong? Probably because when I was finally taken away from my mother, um, I was 12 years old and placed in a children's home. And I have a journal that I I had a Bible that my, my, uh, probation or my um, social worker and my juvenile judge and my juvenile counselor gave me my first year at the children's home. I began to journal in that. Um, I remember writing letters to the Lord going, dear God, if I can just go home. I was so homesick, even though it was a horrible situation. And so I would write these notes to the Lord and just say, if you would please let me go home, I promise I will be the best kid my mom's ever had. And like, I believed I deserved what I got for sure. Um, but it, so it wasn't until I was older and a lot of that came after I had children of my own and going, I, I would never do to these children what my mother did to me. So I was constantly told what a terrible daughter I was. Hmm. Right. And so I think part of my heart believed that and part of my heart did not believe that. It didn't stick for dang sure. That was like God actually protected your mind a little oh, bit. for sure. Because a lot of people are abused and they feel like, hey, it's their fault. Yeah. And they start believing that about themselves. Right. But it sounds to me like God protected you a little bit and gave you some of those confidences that a lot of people don't right. have. Well, in those formidable years as a child, the other thing is we didn't have a TV or a radio. So I had no other, the only input I had was school and church outside of my mother. 
And at school, I had the most amazing teachers. Um, I had a first grade teacher that would bring me to her class every morning and give me the longest hug ever. And she wasn't much taller than me. She was a little short girl. Um, she was just out of college and she would uh, take me in the bathroom, help me brush my teeth because I didn't brush my teeth. I didn't take baths. I didn't have underwear. Um, I wet the bed every day. You can only imagine what I smelled like. And I had long hair and it was thick. I had very thick, long, fine hair that was hard to brush through. And the teachers didn't uh, report this problem? I mean, no, you see... we just looked poor. Oh, okay. You know, that we just looked poor. And, and my mother was good. She didn't like... I never had marks on me that anyone could see. They were mostly on my upper thighs and legs and, um, and my back and my stomach. Nothing was where people could see it. And I wore dresses all the time. So there was no... I mean, she was careful where she hit. Yeah. And that was probably why she had me take my clothes off, to be honest. So although my life at home was stormy and unpredictable because my mother was so unpredictable, school was very predictable. I knew when I was going to eat. I knew I was going to be loved beyond measure. Um, I didn't even think about, I don't even know how I did academically, to be honest, because I, I don't even remember the academic side of school in elementary school. Um, and so just, yeah, so just an incredible uh, place for me to go and escape what was going on at home. So tell me the events that led to you being pulled out of your mother's house. And okay. you, know, you said you were 11. So what sure. led to that? So um, I was I was probably 12 by this time. Um, I, I began to, when I was probably 10, 11 years old, I began to get into uh, a crowd of people. My older, one of my older sisters had come back home the younger of the two, and um, she was involved in some and with some people that were not good people. Um, so by this time, what was she like, 17, something like that, um, 16, 17. And um, they were all drug dealers. They were using drugs. It is a miracle I never used methamphetamines. Everybody around me was using methamphetamines, and I never touched it. It was never even offered to me. Like the Lord had a hedge of protection around me that like even right now sitting here gives me chills when I think about it. He protected me. And so I did, however, uh, when I was 10 and a half to almost 12, I drank and drank. I would drink and smoke pot and wake up in places I didn't know where I was at. At 10 through at, 12? I was very young. And, and so that was accessible, I guess, at your house. Very, well, it wasn't at my house. These were the people that my other, my sister had brought into my life. It was usually somewhere with them. We, and I would just end up in a place I'd come, you know, I'd wake up the next day. And I mean, like, it is a miracle from God that I was never sexually assaulted. Um, it was a very violent uh, world. People were shot uh, for not paying their, paying up on what they were due. I mean, it was a very bad, bad uh, environment. Wow. Um, but as a very young kid, I drank like all the time and I smoked pot all the time. Um, so I began to really rebel against my mother. I remember our social worker, um, she was a feisty woman, um, and she probably really started getting more involved with our family when my oldest sister, the oldest of the two older ones, um, had a near fatal att a suicide attempt and the police had to come and take her when, you know, and the ambulance came, um, it, that is probably when Mrs. Brewer kind of really stepped in in a more, uh, authoritative way. So did Mrs. Brewer, was she instrumental in pulling you out? 
She was. She was feisty. So tell me about the. <laughs> so what was what happened so that got I, you pulled out? Well, I finally, um, I I was walking to school one day, and uh, we were. I walked from the projects, and I was smoking a joint um, at twelve years old, sixth or seventh grade. And one of the little neighborhood girls was like, what are you, are you smoking a cigarette? Cause that cigarette smells funny. And I was like, ah, it's just pot, you know, leave me alone. And, and I just kept walking. I go to school. I get called out of class, uh, later that morning. And she had told the principal that I had marijuana on me. And so I just went to the bathroom before just in my instincts, just going, uh, somebody said something, went and flushed everything down the toilet. So I had nothing on the, on me. Um, the school counselor said the police are going to be here at the end of the day to talk to you. So I just left. I just said, okay, thanks. And I just left and went to my sister's and we ran. We just took off. Um, we spent some time in hot springs and um, it was not fun. It was my sister was raped multiple times. Um, and again, a hedge of protection around me. Um, and she at that time, the Lord used her to protect me. Um, I used to feel very guilty about that. Um and then finally we went home, went back home and uh, I tur- basically turned myself in and Mrs. Brewer sent me to a place in Cecil, Arkansas that was like a juvenile lockup facility. I ran away from there and um, she sent, she called and put, they had me on speaker and said, you can go to Pine Bluff, Arkansas, or you can go to Cookson Hills in Oklahoma. <laughs> and and Cookson Hills in Oklahoma had horses, which I'd asked God for. I'd ask God for a mom and a dad back on that swing set. I asked him for a mom and new mom and dad and horses since I'm asking. And I got all those things. Um, at one point, I left the children's home when I was about 17 and went and lived with my sister that I ran away with. Um, and I remember like there was a point there where uh, it was Christmas time. I'd quit school again. And <clears throat> I there were there were beer cans on the Christmas tree. My sister had men in and out of the house all the time. And I had two nephews. She had two little boys. One was an infant and one was three years old. And the, the three-year-old would pass a joint around for everybody to smoke. And by this time, I was like going, I'm never drinking again and I'm never smoking pot again. I want all my brain cells that I have left. And that was kind of how I looked at it. Um, but I remember, and she would she was so abusive to her children. And it was just honestly what she knew. Uh and I know there's no excuse for it, but and I'm not trying to make an excuse for her, but it was all she knew. And I remember watching her pick that that three-year-old up and slam him to the ground when she was mad at him and just pick him up over and over. And I'd go you know, I'd go stop her and then I'd bundle everybody up and we'd go walk the the streets of Mena, Arkansas. I didn't have any place to go. I didn't know I, I didn't have anybody, you know. Um, but I remember going home one night uh, back to her house and with those kiddos, and I was getting them ready for bed. I fed them and got them ready for bed. And the beer cans were all over the Christmas tree and just stuff everywhere. And I remember thinking, I am not living like this. I don't know how I'm going to live, but I am not living like this. And at that moment, I knew I wanted something better for my life. I just didn't know exactly what that was supposed to be. I remember knowing I'm going to have kids, maybe by different men, because everybody in my family had kids by different men. And so I just thought that was a thing. So I knew I was going to have children, but I was never going to treat them that way. They were always going to have something to eat. We were going to be a family, and there were never going to be beer cans on my Christmas tree. <laughs> you know. So that was 17. And yeah, then I was you, 20, yeah and I, was, I was 17 years old. So you mm-hmm. went back to the I home? I called... Um, 
I called before Christmas even arrived. I called the children's home and said, I want to come back. And so I got back into the children's home. It was very, very hard because I'd lived basically as an adult and got to do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, even though the circumstances were horrible. Um, So it was very difficult, but I knew that I would eventually be fine. And I knew they would not let me leave because I was a minor. So I set myself up and sent myself back to that children's home um, where, again, after a while, I began to thrive again. And I began to get on a path that was more, I really, it wasn't even just that I'd turned away from the Lord. I just felt like I was so, I had behaved so badly that he would never want anything to do with me again. So your perspective changed a little bit as a teenager from this is my dragon slayer, this is Mm -hmm. my relationship with Mm -hmm. God, and then you started thinking, okay, God doesn't love me. Yeah. Well, and and I I just felt like I've been so bad he's never... It was more like I thought I could go find him when I was ready, not that he was with me always, right? I didn't... In my mind, I had not really come to that conclusion of the where the it says the Lord will never forsake us. He will never leave us or forsake us. It means we're in the, we're in the pit of hell. He's right there with us. You know, praise God for that. I graduated from the children's home. They had a Christian school there. They still do. It's a wonderful place. How long did you stay there? Seven years. Seven years. Mm-hmm. So from 12 to, to 19. To 19. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So you're at this uh, Shelter or what? I mean, children's, children's home. home. Yeah, okay. so it was like there were foster parents that were house parents. But that, there was more than just you. Oh, there yes, was like lots, okay. lots. Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, and I got to play basketball. And I remember the first time I passed a spelling test, I was like, I'm like smart. I'm like, I just did that, <laughs> you know. But I didn't before I went to the children's home. I'm I didn't pass anything. I I failed all the classes. Um, that I ever took because there was nobody trying to help me make sure that I was doing my homework and things like that. Nobody cared. And so did you uh, hear from your mom during that time or while I was at the children's home, my mother never came to visit. She lived two hours away. Um, And I'm not even sure what that would have done for me, to be honest. I mean, now I can look back and go, that was probably a good thing that she didn't come and visit. But I was devastated every month when everybody around me had a visit from their families and I never had a visit from my families, my family. And so um, that was a difficult, that was probably uh, one of the most painful things about being in care uh, was not feeling like I had anybody that was for me. Um, And I the people that were at the children's home, some of them are still very, very much a part of my life now. Um, Some of them that were maybe a teacher or a coach are, are like grandparents to my children. Um, because I don't have anybody on my side of the family. My husband's family is in Northwest Arkansas, but mine is not. So um, the Lord put people strategically in my path while I was at that children's home. And so um, I began to really uh, grow in a relationship with the Lord that was very, very deep and, and wide. And I remember I had a house mom that was would always say, you need to find your friendship with Jesus he needs to be your best friend because he will always be with you. There are going to be people that come and go in your life, and you need to know Jesus as your friend. And she told me I need to get into the Word. Well, I didn't even know what that meant. When I graduated from high school, I probably had a sixth-grade reading level. Like, I didn't have great reading comprehension. I was super ADD, um, and I just struggled. 
in that space. But I would just read the same passages over and over and over um, just because the, I, they were familiar to me and I would try to read other things and it didn't make sense always. And so, um, but she taught me to love the word of God and she taught me that he was my friend. He was my savior, but he was also my friend and I could talk to him as a friend as well. What an amazing story you have. And thank you so much for sharing. So let me ask you this, if you could just encapsulate one message with your testimony. Mm-hmm. Someone's listening, they're they're maybe in tears, mm-hmm. maybe they're listening saying, mm-hmm. "Wow, God has done an incredible work." Mm-hmm. What would be what would be your message? What what do you want to convey to the listeners mm-hmm. after hearing your story? Mm-hmm. Number one, that God loves you more than you could ever hope or imagine. And that absolutely in Romans 8, it says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. That really literally means nothing. Like no bad thing, no good thing, nothing can separate us. He wants a relationship with you. Um, He is the only healer of heart wounds. His word and our praise of God and, and worship to him is the only weapon against the enemy. Becky, thanks so much for sharing part one of your story with us. Come back next time when Becky finishes her story and tells us how she needed to forgive her abusers and also how she started this incredible ministry called Saving Grace right here in Northwest Arkansas. Hey, if you are listening today and you know someone who has experienced abuse in their life, perhaps that person is you and you need help right now. You can go to 211.org or simply dial 988 on your phone to connect with a crisis counselor. But maybe your abuse happened a very long time ago, just like Becky, and you have stuffed it down, burying it deep within yourself. Maybe it's been haunting you and it's been causing bad things to surface in your life. Are you ready for healing? God can heal you and he is waiting to be your friend and help you through this time. However, if nothing changes, nothing changes. See you next time. Next time on the If Nothing Changes podcast. Um, and I, I would say that I had probably fits of rage, like probably every day where at some point I got mad about something and lost my mind, um, which was just like my mother. And the, the mirror that my soul looked into was not a pretty one. It did not bode well for me. And I really didn't talk about it to anybody. Nobody really knew. Nobody knew that at night I would go to bed at night and ask God just to go ahead and take me. And um, I told my husband one day, I think I need to see a counselor because I think I really want to die.